Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we delve into the worlds of Stephen King and talk philosophy. Plus, we watch Submarine and we have our final series survival update. It's time for a top three turf war. In celebration of the big summer blockbuster, The Dark Tower, starring Idris Elba, we thought, let's talk about Stephen King and all of the adaptations he's had over the years, and which are his absolute best. I was shocked at how many movies have been made based on Stephen King titles. I knew it was a long list, but until you Google it, you have this man, I mean, in addition to how many books he's written, how many film adaptations he's had, it's astonishing. I know that you're going to have a movie that is not on my list, and I purposely took it off my list because I knew you'd have it. What? That's not as so, no, I like, t- not real. That's, I like, know. manipulating the system, mister. I don't care because I, it's not one of my favorites, but I knew... It need to be talked about, and I know you're going to have it on your list, and I think you're going to have it high on your list. So let's kick it off with number three. What is it, Ivana? Carrie. Whoa, okay. Carrie did not hit my list. Why is it on yours? I think that movie is so cool. It's like the creepiness level that they brought out in that movie, it really felt the way that the book felt. I read the book first, then I saw the movie. And usually that leaves me disappointed. In the case of Carrie, it did not. And I just think that the way that they did it, it was kind of experimental, is very interesting and so creepy. They got the characters right in that movie. like They totally did. Casting Travolta, uh, the mother, like they, they really did a good job. And I mean, everybody knows Sissy Spacek as Carrie. Exactly. In fact... I wonder if her career would have been way bigger if she didn't do such a good job as Carrie. I've actually thought that too, because you watch it and you see the intensity of that final scene at the prom and you're like, man, people aren't going to be able to like disconnect this when they look at her. Even from the very beginning, there is something just off or weird or I don't know from the very beginning. And so I, I, I love that movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. What's your number three? It is, uh, it's one that we did for the podcast, in fact. And Ah. it is Misery with Kathy Bates. That almost made my list. That was like at number four, and I was choosing between that and Carrie. (laughs) I, and you know what? That was the thing. I was like, oh, there's so many ones that I love, but I really liked Kathy Bates and Misery. And that movie, like, I've gone back and watched it again. It's, one of two movies we've watched for for the podcast that I have gone back almost immediately, Do the Right Thing and Misery. So Kathy Bates is terrifying in Misery. And I, I love James Caan. I love that it's this small story that all takes place really in one house. Yeah, it's one of those like burgeoning filmmakers like dreams. And they did it that way. And it really worked. And the fact it that was- it's Rob Reiner who did it is, like, astonishing to me. I mean, this is in the heyday of Rob Reiner. He's got The Princess Bride. He's got uh, When Harry Met Sally. He's about to do The American President. Like And A Few Good Men. I mean, a that's few huge. A Few Good Men. Like, 
he is on fire at this point. But Misery is such a small little film. Um, so when you say like, oh, you know, it, a burgeoning filmmaker would have liked to do that. I'd like to see that today as like a new filmmaker because this guy, he was already hot, hot, hot when yeah, he took on the project. Admittedly, the quality of the story deserves to have like that big distribution. Um but it, the fact that it's so contained and the fact that he did it so well as a contained story, I think that that's the kind of thing that a, a burgeoning filmmaker should sink their teeth into. So what's number two on your list? Number two on my list is The Shawshank Redemption. Number two on my list is The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I love The Shawshank Redemption. I, mean, I love that movie. It, it wasn't... Huge at theaters. It became big on home video and really on like TV repeats because I think like TBS got the rights to just run it again and again and again. It's one of those stories, I think, where it is an amazing movie when you like you're right. I flipped on television, seen it, and then you can't change the channel. You're like, oh, well, I guess I'm watching this now. That's right. It's one of those (laughs) things that is endlessly rewatchable. And I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who's like, it's bad. I've never met anyone to dislike that movie. Like, I've I've met one person who was like, yeah, you know, it's like when it comes on, I watch it, but it's not one of my favorites. But I've never had somebody say, I will never watch that movie or I don't like that movie or it's an awful film. In fact, most people say it's one of their top films because it has that heart. This is a movie that is still, to this day, the number one top rated movie on IMDb of all time. That's like pretty shocking. Like over Star Wars and The Godfather. Yeah, that's actually very true. Over Schindler's List. I mean, you know what though? I get it. It's it's one of those movies that has nothing in it that's really to dislike. But for me, it's just a little bit vanilla for it to be in the number one spot. Ah, there's the word. Okay, so what's in your number one spot? The Shining. I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! Do you know what my number one is? No, I actually don't. You do? Okay, cool. Let's talk about The Shining for a minute. <laughs> well, I mean, The Shining, I know that Stephen King says that he hates it, but I don't get it because I think that Kubrick's Shining is one of the coolest, most rewatchable films I've ever seen. It's scary. It's fascinating. The visuals are unbelievable. And the iconic scenes are just the things that stand out in movie history, period. And so for me, it is the number one Stephen King adaptation. Okay. I have to, I have to qualify why it's not on my list. Yes, I knew I knew it was going to be your number one. I knew it. I think that's hilarious that you knew it. I, I think it's awful that I'm like, which one is going to be yours? Like, I knew <laughs> that it was going to be your number one of all the Stephen King. So I knew it was going to make it into our top three, period. So I was like, you know what? Like, I don't go back to that movie nearly as often as Ivana. It's going to end up there. I'm just going to leave it off my list because I know we're going to talk about it. It's not that I don't really like the movie. I actually really, really enjoy the film. I just don't go back to it because it scares me. Like it is top three, top three scariest movies I think I've ever seen in my life. I love that it actually does have that prickle. Like it almost scares me. And I love that. Because it's him going crazy. Yeah, there are forces in the hotel messing with him. But 
the real villain of the piece is him going mental and trying to kill his family. And that scares the hell out of me. All of that together, like, and at the end of it, you're kind of like, is it the psychosis that created the forces in this hotel? Or is it there's actually forces that brought out the psychosis? And I love movies like that. I love movies that you can ask that question. Or is it just the seclusion of the area? Exactly. And not having anyone around. Exactly. What's your number one? I'm dying. I'm dying to find out. You're going to be disappointed because it's, of course, Stand By Me uh, at number one. Oh, when I was writing my (laughs) list, I was like, it's got, he's going to put Stand By Me on his list. And then as we started talking about it, I forgot. (laughs) So Stand By Me is uh, currently the number two film of all time for me. Uh, My favorite films list. It is number two behind Jaws. And I, so I knew that Stand By Me was going to hit number one on uh, this particular list this week. The thing I love about Stand By Me is that it doesn't have a lot of room to, to wiggle with Stephen King's adaptation because it was a novella. So they really could use a lot of what was in that novella and put it into the movie. Whereas a movie like The Shining, I know that Stephen King is like, what? Well, you took these out and you moved this around. Not a hell of a lot of room to to move in Stand By Me because it's so short, uh, based on the body. And I, oh man, this movie gets me every time. I always think of summer. I always think of my friends. I always think of playing outside as boys and being stupid and talking about things like they matter. Like, why doesn't Donald Duck wear pants? Like, it's so <laughs> silly. And yeah, I mean, there's some nostalgia based around Stand By Me. For sure, because I know when we watched it, you were like, this is good, but I don't really love it the way you love it. Yeah, I, that's for sure. I think also I don't really love those summer movies the way that you love those summer movies. They're, they're, they're like a particular type of coming of age story that maybe it's because I didn't come of age in those circumstances. I experienced them, so it's fun, but I didn't come of age. Well, that's fair. Those things you know, and so I think that maybe that's part of it. So there's a personal element to that stand by me and the way that it would resonate with anyone who watches it. But I also think that, like, I wonder what kids now would think about that movie. Like, is it the same for them? I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question because, uh, I like, I literally watched Boyhood this past week for Movie Club and I... I was like, man, their experience is a little bit different than ours because they're they're not going on big journey and adventures like like me and my friends did in the 80s. Did you actually do that? Your parents would let you just go off? We would we spent a lot of time in a neighboring woods. So wow. like we'd get on the bike and we'd like ride to the woods in the Credit River and like we would jump in the Credit River and uh and we would hang out in the woods and talk about stuff and make fires and things like that. I never would have been, I wasn't allowed to do any of that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, are they, I don't think kids are allowed today. They're I, not. I think like today, I think parental. that your kids can get taken away for, from you if you allowed them to do that. I think you're right. I think like that sort of thing happens in the country, maybe. Maybe. But not in the suburbs. No, and not in the cities. And not in the cities. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so we got to make a list. Um, obviously The Shining and Stand By Me are making it onto this list. I think The Shawshank Redemption finds its way at three, number three, because it was our number two. Yeah. The only thing, I mean, I thought about that 
But Shawshank is such a number two of all time thing, too. I'm going to just make this easy for us. I'm going to I'm going to take Stand By Me. I'm going to put it at number three because I think nostalgia factors into why I love it so much. I don't necessarily think it's as well made as as The Shining. I actually think The Shining is probably the most well made of all three of these movies. Wow. So I'm going to remove Stand By Me and put it at number three. All right. How about this? Number one, Shawshank. Number two, Shining. Number three, Stand By Me. That's the list. I can live with that because we both had Shawshank on our list. And it's number two of all time, according to IMDb. Or number number one. Number one. Top rated movie, period. Top rated movie. Yeah. I think that it's got to get number one for that. All right. Let's count this down. Number three, Stand By Me. Number two, The Shining. Number one, Best Stephen King adaptation of all time, The Shawshank Redemption. Whoa, okay. We also decided, instead of honorable mentions, why don't we quickly run down a couple of movies that we'd like to see of Stephen King adaptations. Or maybe we'd like to see it remade. Maybe it wasn't as awesome the first time around. So I'll start us off. I want to see... A book he wrote, it's a fantasy book called The Eyes of the Dragon. And I would like to see that remade. It is entirely like a political ruling class movie about what happens behind closed doors in a castle, in a medieval castle. And it's, uh, it's strictly fantasy. And I think it's, it's a wildly fun book. It's the first Stephen King book I ever read. And I was like, man, they could turn this into a movie. Very, very well. For me, you know what I really want to see redone? The Green Mile. I realized actually- Whoa. Yeah. Controversial. Okay, here's the thing. I read the books and as novellas too. I didn't read it. Like I I did read them all in one go, but each one was an individual little novella. And they moved me like you wouldn't believe. And to put all that into like four hours, I think it is in the end or something along those lines- too much. You can't take a thousand pages and adequately put all the nuance and the heartbreak in those two books into just like a super long movie. So I I want to see it made as a TV show. I want to see oh, it week I by see. week. And and not only that, I think it has legs to be multiple seasons because you could probably do if you do short seasons, each novella is a season or a two novellas equal a season. Because I think the pacing of reading those books, it, it, I think changed me as a human being in a lot of ways. Oh my God. Um, and frankly, I think that, you know, everyone should be required to read these. Like it just, the way that your heart hurts, the way that you learn to empathize, the way that you just understand that perhaps there's more to other people's stories. It, it's so beautiful. And I just, I didn't get the same feelings watching the, the movie. And then the other one, which I haven't read, but um, our good pal Mark has recommended to me like six times, is a book he wrote called The Long Walk. And I was just going to say, oh. I haven't read it. I haven't seen it, but I really want to. <laughs> yeah, it's about 100 kids who just, they have to start walking. And if they stop or stumble, they get a warning. And if they get three warnings, they get shot. And basically, it's who can walk the longest wins something. It's kind of like the Hunger Games. Wow. And I was like, man, that would make a, like a very 
interesting kind of story for for the big screen, especially if they like set it in the desert because they only get basic rations. It would be like really, really cool. And you'd have these big cinematic or do it like in the mountains or something where it's like kind of Lord of the Rings ish. And it's just like walking through these beautiful vistas. It'd be kind of cool. That is really cool. Do you have any others? I have one that I read, but I don't know the name of. What was it about? <laughs> um, okay, so it's a bunch of different people. They go, they're all on a road trip in a small town in the desert. And they find themselves captured by this really scary, large sheriff thing like a sheriff deputy, but he's almost human, but he's not. And uh, and then in the end, it turns out that oh, I don't know if I should say the end. You should. It, I think the film. I think it's called Desperation. Oh my god! Yeah, that's it. How did you yeah. know? Because I have Google, <laughs> and, I, and I I looked up Sheriff Monster Stephen King. desperation i read it and i loved it and i thought it looked really cinematic as i read it i saw it unfold like a movie in my mind and i want to see that made into a movie so obviously we both are are really big stephen king fans i i'm looking forward to hearing the reviews on the dark tower that comes out on friday uh, you know, we, we hope for the best with these things, and sometimes they deliver and sometimes they don't. But uh, but let us know what your favorite Stephen King adaptation is, or what you'd like to see turned into a film, or like Ivana, a TV show. So Jay, I have to tell you something, as well as all of our listeners out there, that I was really surprised to find out as a Canadian who is now slowly becoming American. <laughs> all right. So, I'm out for dinner last night with Blake, and we're at this bar. There is a band, so it is a bit of a party atmosphere going on at the bar. Twice, not once, but twice, the bar broke out into widespread chants, USA, USA, USA. It's a thing. It's for real. Like, were they doing it ironically? No. Or like, this is full-on patriotism. Full-on Let's chant the name of our country, patriotism, twice in a bar. Now, granted, you know, it was a party night, so people, I'm sure, were lubricated with their German beers. Um, But, yeah, it was... I was shocked. I didn't know that was a thing that happens, but it happens. It's a real thing. And it was just a regular Friday night. Like, what was the instigator? A song about America was played by the band and and then everyone like the whole bar just stopped what they were doing to chant USA but i didn't wow. think that that was real but it's real it happens isn't that crazy yeah i mean that's a little bit crazy i think the only time canadians get patriotic is when their hockey team wins olympic gold because i've literally been in a bar singing the canadian national anthem but something like huge and historic just happened for Canada in like a hockey game. Right. That was like the only time it's ever happened for me. No, this is like random Friday night, a song about America, and it reminded everyone how great America is. Are people laughing when that happens or is everybody like stern faced? Like were you guys chuckling when it happened? We we definitely we were just so wide eyed and big smiles. <laughs> everyone was generally smiling. And excited. It was very similar to university students feeling pride. 
Also, uh-huh. the bar was filled with a lot of university students. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, no, I see that. I can see that being a, being a thing that people chant. Um, it is very catchy. I've been in places where that's happened, and I haven't. I've been like, wow, I, I, like, okay, just do it. Yeah, but- that's exactly how we felt. We were like, wow, this is real. It's not just on TV. <laughs> Right. Yeah. How's the bar scene down there anyway? Like, was it a nice bar? Uh, Yeah. I mean, this one was, they do all German and they do in-house brews of German beer. So it was very, very good. Fun. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's pretty fun. You know what? Pittsburgh is known for its beer and its micro brews and all that stuff. So beer here is pretty darn delicious. So maybe those gents just had a couple of brews in them already and... Wanted to chant something, and the easiest thing to chant is three letters. <laughs> In my day, we just called them their interwebs, the paper. James Franco, the actor, launched a brand new YouTube channel this week, and it's all about something that maybe you're not going to guess. It's so James Franco. <laughs> I think it totally is James Franco. But if you said, hey, like James Franco, the actor just did a YouTube channel. What do you think it's about? I might go like, it's about pot or it's about politics or it's about acting technique or it's about something else other than philosophy. James Franco's YouTube channel is called Philosophy Time. I love it. I've seen all four episodes. Uh, They are getting quite the number of views already. And I just... I think they're really great. Like, they're fun and they bring a new perspective maybe to an audience that doesn't think about new age philosophy. Like, new philosophy, not just Nietzsche and, you know, like all the old philosophers that we know about. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about things that people might not get. Like, you know, let's talk about metaphors and how to use them effectively. Right. And like, do metaphors help or hurt communication? It turns out both. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So Um, that's the one I I watched Metaphor with, I think it was like Liz Camp. Liz Camp, yeah. And and you've seen them all. I've seen them all. Um, I think I preferred Liz Camp on imagination. Um, What I found interesting and... I don't know if I love it about it. You have these incredible minds, these professors who are talking about new philosophies that they themselves have created. And yet, and I don't know if it's because James Franco is just such a big star, they don't seem to be extremely well-spoken as they try to explain these thoughts. They seem very informal. Yeah, I like the informalness. But I found it not so easy to follow along with all of them. Like, the one on beauty, I was like, what is it that we're talking about right now? I mean... I think he's kind of having them over. They're on a patio somewhere, and he's just kind of chatting about philosophy in general with them for a long period of time. And they're, like, not really prepared for what he's asking. I love the just having people over drinking some coffee and talking about philosophy. And the one thing that I think is my favorite is the post uh, animation that they put on top of everything. Oh, (laughs) yes. 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 It has these like drawings that come over these simple um, interviews and they kind of have little comments. My favorite 
superimposing animation was in episode 103, Liz Harmon on abortion. Um, and at this point, as you're watching the video, it kind of sounds cyclical, like her explanation of what she thinks about abortion. And then all of a sudden, a little like animation pops up of like a cycle, like, oh, this is really cyclical. <laughs> and it's kind of awesome because these animations are exactly what you're thinking as you watch these videos. So I think that's kind of cool. Definitely. So we're going to drop the link in the description for you. Uh, you know, if you enjoy it, I hope you subscribe to uh, Mr. Franco. You know, he's always been like the consummate student. Um, you know, when you hear stories about James Franco, he's like going back to university or he's like teaching a class in acting so that he can learn more stuff at university. So, it, I mean, this is sort of a natural progression, but I never thought it would be a philosophy YouTube channel that he launches. I'm not surprised at all that he wants to bring philosophy to the masses. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. Last week, we asked you to come on a little journey and watch a little Welsh film called Submarine with us. Now, I'm just going to, you know, do my little thing where I say we're going to talk about what this film's all about, and that's going to include some spoilers. So if you haven't actually seen Submarine, look in the description and you'll be able to go to the next marker for series survival update. Um, but for right now, we're going to talk about Submarine in all of its spoilerific glory. Here's what it's about. It's 1986 and we're following a 15-year-old boy from Wales named Oliver Tate who is narrating this picture. And he's pretty darkly in tune with himself. He's neurotic, but he's also really lovable. Super lovable. And a part of that lovability comes from the crush he has on a girl named Jordana. Now, Jordana is kind of weird and quirky and dark, just like Oliver. Bullying people kind of turns her on. She plays with matches and she smokes menthol cigarettes, which is probably way more rebellious today than it was in the 80s. <laughs> so when Jordana mysteriously invites Oliver to meet her after class, he, of course, goes Turns out, it's all a ruse to help Jordana get back at her ex-boyfriend. She takes loads of Polaroids while kissing Oliver and spreads them around the school. And after that happens, Jordana and him are a couple. Meanwhile, we get a glimpse into Oliver's home life where his parents are concerned about him acting weird. Wondering if he's gay, wondering if he's suicidal, there's just a lot of wondering. But Oliver is equally concerned about his parents and their relationship, especially now that the ninjas have moved in next door to New Age hippies. One, of course, is his mother's ex, and Oliver starts plotting his revenge. But he's also falling for Jordana, and... Pretty soon, it's time for the happy couple to have sex for the first time. Unsurprisingly, he screws it up. But then, he wins her over with the most wonderful notes, and sex is on. Moving forward, Oliver's mom is loving the intention that Ninja Graham is throwing her way, especially now that he's single. And she's getting super frustrated with Oliver's dad because he's not trying to connect with her anymore. And Oliver is super worried about his parents, but when he tries to confide in Jordana, he finds out that her mom has cancer. So he keeps his problems to himself, and instead, he's going to fix everyone around him. Until he doesn't go to the hospital when Jordana needs him. Yeah, until then. Which is a dick move. The dickiest. So she breaks up with him, and she starts dating a dude with a really long neck. Oliver 
is devastated. While all that's going on, you see the juxtaposition of Oliver's father not doing anything to fix his marriage. And that leads to Oliver's mom saying at least one of the three top best lines in the movie. I gave Graham a handjob in the back of his van. Forever solidifying the horrific thought in my mind that at some point every mom in the world has given someone a handjob. And now it's there for you too. What's wrong with moms giving handjobs? So, hey, Oliver's parents work through it and Graham moves away. And Oliver runs up to Jordana to win her back with the passion and glory of a rom-com speech. She tells him a flat-out no. Until the end of the movie when they're standing on a beach together and they don't say anything, but they wade into the ocean and fade out. That's pretty much the movie. What'd you think? I'm a fan of this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. The first two acts are hilarious and wonderful, and I love Oliver Tate and all of his, like, quirky, weird glory. Um, I I loved the first sex scene. I thought it was, like... The, I thought it was hilarious. He's like all dolled up in a suit. He uh, he's made dinner. He like gets her to close his her eyes when she comes into the bedroom, and he like seductively lays in his suit on the bed. I loved that him seductively laying in his suit on the bed, like in a George Costanza like pose or something. And he fixes his tie. Yeah, and then <laughs> she just is like super weirded out. She looks at him. And she's like, "You're like a serial killer. I can't do this." <laughs> and she runs out of the house. But then he's like, "Okay, no, I totally understand. Uh, I I made a mistake." And gives her this note. And can we just spend a moment on this note and how amazing it was? It was one of the most romantic things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Dear Jordana, thank you for letting me explore your perfect body. I could drink your blood. You're the only person I would allow to be shrunk down to a microscopic size and swim inside me in a tiny submersible machine. We've lost our virginity, but it wasn't like losing anything. You're too good for me. You're too good for anyone. Sincerely, Oliver. It is one of the most romantic notes. I mean, isn't he adorable the way that he reads it? <laughs> like, it was like, you know what? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It was just such a real moment. I, I loved his parents as well. I thought they were great. I think their level of concern for Oliver was completely justified. Completely justified. But they were also, well, I think one of the things I loved about his parents the most is they're so clearly like intellectuals who are, you know, professors. They're so thoughtful, but they don't act a lot. Like they, they didn't get angry or anything like that. They were just really concerned and quietly concerned. When he tells them he has a girlfriend and like his dad comes up strutting. It's like, I once ripped my vest off for a woman. It was, <laughs> it was very effective. <laughs> and he, he has this deadpan. Like he's like this small, thin man who's deadpan. And you're like, mm, I don't think anything is effective with you, mister. <laughs> You'll know the actors if you've seen any like any batch of British films. You, you kind of know these people. Like I've seen them all before. Sally Hawkins is probably the most memorable because she was in that Happy Go Lucky movie a couple of years ago that um, earned her an Oscar nomination. Nice. And so she plays the mom who's... Who, yeah, had, gave Graham a hand job in the back of a minivan. That was the weirdest part, too, because that was... So weird. To Oliver. Like, I just... I was like, you don't say that to your child. <laughs> to your child. It was, like, so misguided. So misguided. <laughs> I don't know. This was, this was, like, a super quirky, 
small story that was very focused on Oliver's experience, and I loved it. So what didn't you like? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that there's much that I didn't like. Like, I think you didn't like the third act, you said. I didn't like the third act as much, and I didn't like that they end up together. I thought, this is just your first relationship, man. Like, yes, you are supposed to feel all these things. Yes, you're supposed to want or win her back, but... When Jordana said no, I was like, good. Me too. Because that's important. Probably the only thing that I would have changed is that I don't like that they end up together. But I didn't mind that it ended kind of open-ended with them wading into the water. That was cool. It gives you the impression that they're going to get back together. And I'm like, ah, they don't need to. Like, this could just be a moment of solace. Exactly. And I think it's very clear that it gives you a hopeful impression. And that's not a good thing. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that uh, Oliver Tate, one, is going to go to college and become like a super asshole ladies man, I think. I think that's 100% <laughs> what's going to happen and he's because he's obsessed with sex. Even his parents, like he's obsessed that they're not having sex. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Like him, there's a part where he says he's tracking his parents' love life and it's seven months since they've had sex. Out of five, I'm going to give this movie um, a three and a half out of five. What are you going to give it? A four. I think that's fair. Like, between three and a half and a four, I'm totally... Like, if you came at me and said five, I'd be like, you're crazy. No, it's not a perfect movie, but it's really good and it gets an A. (laughs) Next, we're going to be watching the TV show, What Would Diplo Do?, which premieres next week. So check out that pilot and we'll talk about it next. It stars James Vanderbeek and it's on Viceland. Yay, James Vanderbeek. (laughs) Series Survival. It's time for our final installment of the series survival updates, which means that soon enough, we're going to be talking about our next predictions. (laughs) Yeah, we also crown a winner. I'm sure I will come out victorious. Right. As everybody knows, I'm amazing at this. I just want to start with the previous score was I had eight correct and Jay had six. Wait, hold on. You were ahead in the last one? Yeah, I'm already ahead. All right. Well, I'm less cocky now. (laughs) All right. So the first thing that we found out, whether or not it's renewed or canceled, is the Netflix series Iron Fist. I've been watching or I know I shouldn't say I've been watching. I have been attempting to watch this garbage fire like over the last month. And the lead that normally Marvel is so good at getting their leads and like finding the right people. The lead in this is the worst actor I think I've ever seen in my life on screen. Like he's so really he's likable enough, but his acting is distracting. Like he's bad. You got to watch it. You you just got to watch the first episode and be like, what? I'm going to watch that first episode. Yeah. So it was renewed for a second season. I thought I was going to get this wrong. With all the horrible reviews, I haven't seen it. I was sure that they were going to cancel it or pretend that it was a mini series. Um, It's renewed and I got it right. That was my prediction. You got it right. And with all of the negative things that it was saying, I was like, no chance. This is going to be one of the ones that Netflix leaves on the fire and lets burn for all eternity. So uh, right there, you are now up nine to six. And my cocky bravado is leaving me. But you know what? We still have two more. I can still come back. All right. What's next? Um, All right. Harlots was a Hulu presentation. uh, And I had zero interest in watching this show. It was like 
The Hands Made Tale, but more MTV, I think, a little bit. Uh, and Hands Made Tale, we, as we know, is amazing. Right. I mean, you're not the target audience for this show, so I'm I not know. surprised that you didn't want to watch it. I'm like mildly curious. You said it was going to get canceled. And guess what? It got renewed. And guess what? <laughs> you said it would get renewed. Uh-huh. I'm up again. <laughs> that is 10 to 6 at this point. And we only have one more to go. And I got the re- next one right, though. Yeah. Dear White People. But I still win. But yeah, I, I thought Dear White People was going to get canceled because I thought that there was too much controversy around it and people are going to get really angry. But I was wrong. I guess that equated to lots of ratings because it got renewed and we both watched it and loved it. Yeah, I love that show. And I'm happy it's renewed, but sad that I predicted poorly. (laughs) But that means that the final score is 10 Ivana and 7 to me, which means that Ivana is my queen and I am her lowly servant. I am the uh, series survival prediction champion. (laughs) 10 to 7, Ivana wins, which means I have to do something, whatever the hell she wants. So why don't you guys let Ivana know on Twitter what I need to do for my queen and greatness holier-than-thou person who is now <laughs> lording over me. It's going to be like, awesome, and we can put it on YouTube. And I know that she's in Pittsburgh, but we're looking at each other through the the magic of the internet, and she is, like, gloating. She pulled out a crown from God knows where. She's got a <laughs> crown on her head. Uh, you don't have a crown on you every, like, just in case for any occasion? No, I have a belt. <laughs> <laughs> Just fasten that on. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Congratulations, Ivana. Um, my cocky bravado did not help me this time, but that means that we will have series survival come back, and I'm sure we'll start to get some new awesome trailers, uh, maybe for the next show, so we can do uh, three and do some new guessing. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to tune in again when we return. And on that note, we should probably mention that we will be away next week, but we'll be back the week after that. And why are we doing that? I'm moving into my permanent place in Pittsburgh. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's a that's fine. That's legitimate. <laughs> it's a fairly <laughs> legitimate <can> thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to support the show, we'd really appreciate it. All you have to do is hop on iTunes or any podcast service you use. Give us a quick rating and or review. This helps us grow the show. Bensound.com is where we get our intro song. And we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and our sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you. So you can reach out at morethemovies.net. Email us, hello, at morethemovies.net. We're on Facebook at More The Movies Podcast. Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back in two Mondays with an all-new episode. In two Mondays. <laughs> and until that time, friends. Do more. And watch more. <laughs> <laughs>